Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Pixel Sift is proudly supported by the Murdoch University School of Arts and they might have what you're looking for in a creative degree. If you're keen to learn more, have a look at murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts to find out what they've got an offer. That's murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts, or you can search Murdoch University for more information. Murdoch University School of Arts, proudly supporting Pixel Sift. Hello and welcome to episode 148 of Pixel Sift, the show dedicated to indie games from around Australia and the world. My name is Daniel and with me tonight is my co-host Sarah. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on, Daniel. And our guest this week is Ben Chandler, who is the lead artist and animator on Nighthawks. Thanks so much for joining us tonight, Ben. Thank you. Nice to be here. So today we're going to be talking to him all about Nighthawks, as well as how he got his start as an artist and how he got involved in the games industry. Very exciting stuff for both Daniel and I, as we're both artists ourselves too. All right, let's just get straight into it. Hey there, if you're enjoying the show and you want to hear more, subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, or listen on pixelsift.com.au. See you there. So joining us tonight is Ben Chandler, who is an artist and animator in the games industry, and he has worked on titles such as Blackwell Epiphany, Unavowed, and Shardlight, and is currently working on the upcoming Nighthawks, an indie RPG where you play as an awakened vampire in a dark city. So Ben, could you please start off by telling us what Nighthawks is about? Uh, Nighthawks is, presents sort of an interesting take on vampirism in which everybody knows that vampires exist. It's not a secret anymore. Um, and tries to look at the idea of how a world and a city would act in that sort of environment and how the politics would be affected by that. But mostly it's about um, your rise as a fledgling vampire, starting with nothing, to being a major player in a city and the choices you make and the repercussions of those choices as you go. And when you got the brief for this game, how do you go about interpreting the writing into something visual there's a, there's a lot to unpack in sort of the uh, the aesthetics of, of it and how do you go about that a lot of the times when i start on a project i will be given reference things whether it's films whether it's games um in this particular case richard who's the writer and designer and programmer and every other hat on the game basically except music um sort of he and I are both big fans of Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, so we sort of said we'd like to do something inspired by that. Um, not that looks like that or feels like that, but has that sort of atmosphere. Um, and I also think 
you know, a lot of things like Blade and a lot of, I mean, vampire stuff, it's going to be set at night, obviously, if you think about vampires. So a lot of the times I just try and watch a few films, play a few games, um, just to get a vibe like, what is this person thinking? Because art is, when you're doing illustration for someone else, you have to kind of read their mind and get into their thoughts. So I try and come from the same place that they do. So we both see the same vision. Working in the games industry as an artist, um, what kind of typical challenges do you face or well, challenges that you would face during a typical work week? A lot of it is that reading the mind kind of thing, trying to interpret someone's words into images that match what they're after. Um, and also game art is very functional. It's very practical. So while you might want to do things a particular way, that might not suit what works best for the game. You have, like, the game comes first, so it has to be not get in the way of either making the game or playing the game. So it's not a lot like being a traditional illustrator, um, but also it allows you to do things like animations that maybe comic books wouldn't allow you to do. Um, and then just, you know, the workload, because games take a long time to make. I was just going to say, um, bouncing off that, um, what does that look like in a production room where, you know, you say you're discussing with the designer or the other developers? How do you go about uh, that back and forth conversation of, is this what you want? How does that design kind of play? Yeah, so we iterate a lot. I will send a sketch. Um, if I'm doing a location at the moment, I like to mock things up in a 3D, like a simple 3D model and say, is this the kind of thing you're looking for? Because it allows me to change the camera, almost like positioning a camera on a film set um, and get the right vibe. For characters, I'll draw a sketch and I'll say, is this right? And, you know, for example, one comment I got today was, he, he looks right, but he's not stooped over enough. So it's really simple things like that. But the main thing is don't work on, like, don't work on something too long before you let someone see it. Concept art should be really, really rough, really, really basic just convey the idea more than trying to look good. Otherwise you've wasted half a day or a day making something that looks beautiful, but does not fit the vision at all, which believe me, I learned that the hard way. <laughs> and artists, you're both artists, so I know you'll understand this. You want to make something that looks good. Yeah, there's the the concept of rendering it too much. And like, like yeah. you were mentioning, it gets enough to a point where it looks like the thing and any other time on it could potentially just be thrown out because, you know, changes here, here, and here, and then you've just lost a couple of hours of, of work or whatever. Um, so that's also a thing to balance. And so you, you've worked on uh, with Wadget Games for a while, and there's a similar feel in their aesthetic. So there's like a dark noir okay. sort of thing, especially with um, Unavowed and, and, that, and, and those games. And what mm -hmm. makes this fascinating to you as an artist as far as subject matter goes? There's a couple of things. Um, I was a fan of their games before I started working on their games. So I, my career path is in interesting because I was working as a wool presser in a shearing team. Um, I had worked in a bank for a few years, didn't like that job at all. So I was working on farms and just making games as a hobby, like as something to do, like you might watch TV or play cricket or something like that. And I just decided, oh, I like this guy, I'm going to work for him, uh, <laughs> which is kind of kind of a uh, smug but you know i think if if you believe in something hard enough and you work hard, hard enough towards it you get that and i feel like a lot of the times the event like the point and click adventure game genre was doing a lot of like comedy stuff which i like but they didn't really speak to me 
you know, when I was reading books, I was reading detective stories and dramas and stuff like that. But when I was playing games, I couldn't find a lot of that. So I was like, this person's making what I want to make. I should work with them. Um, and then I've, you know, you you develop your art style. You know, I know you and I have been speaking about this recently, Dan, is finding what speaks to you as an artist and trying to recreate that. And I love that, that idea of like, of not brightly lit locations and the reflections on a, on the wet ground. To me, the, a city is never more beautiful than when I'm driving through it on like a rainy night and there's like the street lights and the rain on the windscreen. That's like my favorite time in a city ever. So if I'm going to draw a city, that's usually how I want it. Yeah, that's a really interesting point that you bring up because I think a lot of it also has to do with the mood of mm-hmm. the aesthetic and, and especially feeling that the feeling of coziness and warmth and tranquility and all of those different things um, at night and seeing yeah. like those little lights go on in the distance and stuff and just kind of wondering like, uh-huh. I wonder what that person's up to um, or like this person driving down and wonder how they, their day's been. It's a, it's a really weird feeling. I don't know how to describe it, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, every lit window that you see in a city is a story. And it's kind of it's kind of interesting to think like what are those stories? You know, that moment of Sonder, which I believe we discussed recently as well, of like everyone around me has a life and making a story or a game set in that sort of world is a chance to peek in at one of those lights and see what's behind it. One thing about the art that really grabbed me looking at the game is I love the um, some of the UI elements that have that traditional gothic kind of stone or metal work look about it. You've got this gargoyle and then you've got a, a smartphone and, and a credit card like right next to it. Those are obviously, those are obviously intrinsic and important parts of the UI, but I don't think I've ever really seen it used that way before. And it's such a fun juxtaposition of your traditional gothic vampire imagery. And then you've got this very modern 2020 kind of um you know you know like stuff there that we all recognize how how did the design process for that come about i think that was really richard uh the designer and writer's idea was he wanted to have this mix like i'm an artist and again you're both artists so you'll know this my favorite if i'm drawing like really loopy ironwork and you know getting carried away with that that's the best time i don't want to draw smartphones or credit cards or anything like that if i don't have to so you know, but we have to sort of be um, aware of the fact that in a modern world, nobody gets around without a smartphone. Nobody goes out without a debit card. You don't take cash. Come on. Um, so to like mix those elements together is also kind of fun. Um, when you think about the screenshots, a third of the screen is taken up by a big text window, which is, you know, Richard has worked on things like Sunless Skies, and that's how those games sort of work. A lot of the game takes place off in that column to the left, uh, to the right, sorry. And if you're going to put that big text window there, it's like having a picture on the wall. You might as well give it a beautiful frame. And and um, that gothic element that you mentioned allowed me to sort of get carried away. And, you know, I don't know any artist that wouldn't have a fun time drawing that sort of gothic border and just, you know... You, you do the rest when you have to. But yeah, again, it has to be it has to be beautiful, but it has to serve the game. Well, the practical side of it, um, because with with Wadget Eye and again with that noir aesthetic and everything, that's a very similar visual language throughout their projects. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Do you have any sort of processes as far as like overlaps? Because I know you're working on a bunch of different projects concurrently. And how do you go about balancing that and moving from one style to another? Is it, do you have your own process with that? I would say, first of all, no artist can truly escape their own style. We are who we are. And as much as you might try to draw like someone else, they're the shortcuts that you learn in, you know, however long you spent drawing, you're trapped by them. You'll never forget those. You can't become someone else, which is fine. That's our visual signature. Um, but for example, jumping between styles, like, um, I'm going to be starting on pre-production on my next project at the end of this month. So I'm currently, as I do my normal work at the moment, I'm thinking in my head, what are the challenges of the next project? What do I need to overcome? How can I overcome them? Or what steps can I try to see what overcomes them? So uh, I think the most... Uh, the most beneficial thing you can do for yourself as an artist, especially as a working artist with deadlines and to-do lists. And, you know, Nighthawks was kickstarted. So I have not a deadline, but I have, you know, thousands of people that gave us their money that want the game. You can't keep them holding on forever and saying, yeah, we're still working on it. You have to get it done in time. Um, The most beneficial thing you can do to yourself in those circumstances is to prepare, to plan and to research so I gather references, I talk to pick, like to the designer and see what they're after, and I just try and get my head into the space where I'm like, what is this project going to be about? What do I need to know? For example, currently I've spent the last three weeks painting portraits for Nighthawks, which um, is a weakness of mine. So before doing this particular block of painting, I just spent a few hours each weekend just practicing my figure painting and getting better at that and identifying my weaknesses and working on those so that when it comes time for the big match, you're fit. And that's an interesting point to you bring up about style because I tend to think of it as exactly as you said, everyone's got a unique voice, like literally we've all got unique fingerprints and we all have our own personal experiences that make us who we are as people and naturally with art that kind of comes out anyway, whether or not you're you know conscious of it or not. And there's little things that you tend to do. For example, the way that you might draw a box might be very different to somebody else that would draw a box. I don't know why I said boxes. It's a kind of weird, weird example. But well, most people draw their boxes in perspective, but I can't. So there's, there's that one. <laughs> a lot of video games have a lot of boxes, let's be fair. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Definitely. And uh, coming up real soon, we'll be chatting to Ben Chandler also about how he got his start in games. Mitch, what's Discord? Discord is an online chat service that most gamers use. Incidentally, you can also use it to talk to us at pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. Yeah, you can talk about uh, episodes, you can talk about upcoming topics, you can probably even coerce Mitch into playing a game with you online. That's not going to happen. That is going to happen. You're doing it. I'm saying that's happening. Sorry. Yeah, well... Join Discord. You should grow your beard back. pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. So if you're just watching us, we are talking to Ben Chandler, who is the lead artist and animator currently working on Nighthawks uh, by Wadget Eye Games. And Ben, you mentioned this earlier on, but you did sheep shearing for a little bit. And how did you go from that into game development? And what was like, what was that like for you? Well, I was actually a wool presser, not a shearer. I, I, uh, I, I knew that if I got into shearing, uh, first of all, it ruins your body, but also it's a job for life. You never get away. So, um, for me, 
art was just something to do. Like I play in a band and I was playing in a band back then and I don't want to be a professional musician or anything like that. I mean, I get paid to do it, but I didn't want to be a career musician. It was just something to do that interested me. I like listening to music, so I enjoy playing music. And games was the same. I never thought of it as, oh, this is going to be my career. I just thought, oh, I like games. I'm interested in the process of how they're made. I'd like to try it. Much like you might enjoy cooking and then go on to be a cook. Um, and I started out in a scene where everybody did everything themselves. We all wrote code. We all wrote dialogue. We all did graphics and animation and design work. So we're all very much generalists, but I think within that you find the thing that speaks to you. And I definitely found that art was very, not just satisfying for me, but it was the ta the stuff that I enjoyed tinkering with the most. And I think the more you tinker with something, the more you learn about it or the more fascinated you get by it. So when it came time to think like, not necessarily what I had the most success with, but what I found the most uh, engaging, I just kind of was drawn towards art. Before that, I was, I never considered myself an artist. I could not draw. And being very much self-taught, it's interesting for me to see what I would call career artists and the strengths that they have that are very much weaknesses of mine. Uh, and I sort of think, oh, I wish I'd started as an artist. But if I hadn't, started as a game developer like an indie developer i don't know that i would have gotten so enamored with art the same way i think that's that's so important because like so much of art is influenced by our other life experiences or other jobs we've done i don't think you can just be an artist and ignore the rest of the world around you like i do a ton of research anytime i go to draw something new because if you don't understand it how can you properly you know, create it again? How can you properly remake it? Like, you can't just pull from this kind of sense of, oh, I think I know what a cat looks like and oh, I'll give it a shot. It's like, you know, it won't, might not look exactly like a cat, you know? Are you but, familiar with The Tabby by Henri Rousseau? Uh, no, I don't think oh, so. Oh, you've got to look that painting. That was the guy that loved <laughs> painting cats and had no idea what a cat looked like. It's oh, my favorite I, I do. I do know what that looks like. Yeah, I, I, do, <laughs> I do. I've seen those. Those are amazing. But yeah, so speaking of, of, of things that, that don't necessarily exist, or don't exist correctly. Do you feel like steering towards sci-fi or fantasy as genres uh, and settings gives you more opportunities to create more interesting worlds? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is this is the stuff I liked as a kid. You know, I like playing video games with spaceships and I like Star Wars and that sort of stuff. But also I think, I don't know, for some reason realism never spoke to me and realism still does not speak to me. I admire realism as a movement, an artistic movement, I admire photorealism. I admire hyperrealism. I admire all of these, these sort of very heavily realistic art movements and the people that do them and their skill. But if you sit me down with a pencil and a piece of paper, I'm not going to draw a realistic thing. It just, uh, it just doesn't speak to me. And as you say, you got to, You have to do a ton of research to get it right, but you can use that research to be create a jumping off point to, to be speculative or um, nostalgic or romantic. And that stuff really appeals to me much more. For me, I usually like to think of it as the feeling that I want to create or like capture, you know, and there's like a certain moment. And so usually with style and stuff like that, I think that's where you can kind of have those creative liberties because 
sometimes, you know, you, you, you understand the rendering side of it and the science about how light works and bounce light and, you know, all that good stuff. And sometimes it just doesn't quite fit within the scene. So you have to omit it or change it slightly to get that initial, you know, mood of feeling across. And I think that's quite an interesting thing to, to think about. Yeah, I'm sure I'm not being too controversial if I tell you that I believe all art to be communication between an artist and a viewer, whether it's someone writing a story, whether it's somebody playing music or whether it's somebody drawing a picture as we do. And if you're communicating that you saw a house or that this is the house that you grew up in and that's what you want to communicate, that's great. But if you want to communicate what would happen in a world of this or, you know, something like that, or this is a mood that speaks to me, sometimes you have to draw something that can't exist in order to communicate what you're trying to communicate. And this, again, as, as Sarah mentioned too, there's so much research that goes into it. And I started thinking more about it. Like, for example, trying to draw a city and then you're doing a city and all the little windows and stuff. And in real life, people had to make that building, you know? So to try mm-hmm. to recreate that in a visual format, you kind of have to understand, like you don't have to go full on expert mode unless you want to. Um, but there is a lot of research that comes with that to know how things function, how things look, what the processes were like, why things look the way yeah. they look, and then having that sort of inform your own uh, decisions in, in the process. I think you also learn to lie using the facts of reality, which what we do is basically lying. We're, te- we're cr- telling something that isn't real and we're trying to make people believe that a location exists. But for example, I think you realize how ignorant you are of the world and how it works once you start trying to recreate it. Um, I never looked at, you know, tiled floors with such rapture as I did after I started learning PBR materials, right? Um, So um, I remember walking around a shopping center just being like, oh man, how did they get this to look so good? And then I'm like, oh, that's physics. (laughs) I think every artist has that moment. But um, I also think you can use it to lie, like to be, to play a little bit of inside baseball with art stuff. If you want to convey that somebody's arm is behind them, you can use atmospheric perspective to show that even though you and I both know that unless it's really, really foggy, that's not going to come into play on someone's arm. Like it's just, that that doesn't work. But you, you know that as a visual shortcut, you know that if a mountain is 10 kilometers away, it'll be fainter. So you can use that in a more controlled setting to tell a little lie that makes your actual things realism more convincing. And going back to games really quickly too, um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, it's it's set in Egypt, right? And it's in the desert and yet there's still atmospheric perspective and fog in the distance. And that sort of comes down into, you know, it's smoke and mirrors, uh, but it also has a function because the game actually, you know, uh, field, field of distance and level of detail and stuff all come into play. And so you have to kind of mix that in a way that makes sense to the viewer. Um, Once again, the art must not come in the way of the gameplay. Yeah, it, definitely, for sure. And speaking about games, um, what did it feel like to create and release your first game? My first game uh, was about getting a bowl of cereal and I made it in two weeks just to learn an engine and it felt like nothing. <laughs> I, It was that long ago that... I had a friend who didn't have the internet, so I burnt it onto a CD and mailed it to him, and then he tested it by calling me up on the telephone. So my first game was a long time ago, and I it didn't feel anything. But I remember like the first time that work that I did got in a magazine that I grew up reading, and I have all my old copies of that magazine, and like 
that magazine was my life and all of a sudden something I did is in that magazine and I was like maybe this maybe I could do this you know that was that was one of those interesting things and making games and being an artist in general is such a busy life that you often don't stop and smell the roses and I remember getting together the materials for the Nighthawks Kickstarter pitch um, was really hectic and I was finishing like finishing at the last minute. I remember I had band practice the night that I finished, which was the same night that the last project that I worked on was being released and all the reviews were coming out and everything like that. And I remember going to band practice after sending off the last of the materials for the Kickstarter pitch, running off to band practice where I had no phone signal. So the game that I'd spent two years working on launched while I was jamming with my buddies and then I got out of band practice and I got to the corner of the main road where I could get phone reception, turn off the car, open up my phone, check like PC Gamer Review gave it 80% or something like that. I'm like, oh, thank God they liked that the last two years of my life was okay. Turn the phone off and like drove home. And I'm like, man, if, if you'd have told me before I started this that I'd work on a game with like a Metacritic score, you know, in the 80s, I would have been like, no way. But then like, you know, you... you you get that busy making things that it just kind of becomes part of life, you know? Do you have any advice to give to someone that wants to do like what you do as a career? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the most important thing for me is when I get discouraged, which happens a lot, especially when you're a self-taught artist and you don't learn the most um, technical way of approaching these things is to find people you can talk to and talk to them and don't be afraid to pick their brains because people love talking about art. If people ask me questions about art, there's nothing better to me than to stop what I'm doing and say, yeah, cool, there's this really cool technique that will do exactly what you're looking for. I love that. Um, and a lot of the guys that I grew up admiring ended up being people that I considered friends and gave me so much advice along the way. Uh, the old saying, you know, if I've seen further, it's by standing on the shoulders of giants. And that's so true. If you try and do this by yourself in a little bubble without any outside help, you're really robbing yourself of the chance to be inspired, educated, and to get the sort of critical feedback that you really need to develop as a creative person. You don't know what you don't know. And I think having that extra set of eyes to help you understand certain things um, is really beneficial. Yeah. And especially in today's you know age, and we have a lot of uh, different platforms for people to share information out there and connect to each yeah. other. And there's a lot of information going around. It's almost daunting at times, just trying to sift through it everything. Is. It is, but last week, I, someone asked me how to do something or someone asked me about something that I didn't know how to do. And I went and looked up the YouTube tutorial of it and I had done it for the first time ever in 30 minutes, which is better than any course I can think of. And uh, for someone like you, Ben, um, for those that don't know, you live quite remotely away from, uh, from, from Perth, uh, from where we are. And what are yeah. the challenges that come from doing your work remotely and, you know, <laughs> and, and that in a small town where this isn't maybe as big as other places? Uh, my internet's really bad. And it's a regular joke when I'm trying to upload a 60 megabyte file that it takes me seven attempts. And, and other than that, it's, it's really, it's really no different. 
um, one of the greatest things in the world we're in today, a lot of people are having to work from home the first time. Uh, but for me, I've been working, this, this has been my job for over six years and I've successfully worked from home um, doing this. And I think the biggest challenge for me living where I live, I said this to you before the show, Dan, is that when I grew up, I didn't realize that a person could make games, that a person could be an artist. I thought that everyone went on to work on a farm or everyone went on to work in a shop. I didn't realize that I had the opportunity because I went to a small town school which catered to the interests of most of the people in this school. So luckily I found the internet and I learned a lot from the internet. But yeah, the biggest challenge was I didn't realize you could just do this. I didn't realize that anyone can become an artist, that it's a trade. Um, you know, as I said to you earlier, Leonardo and Michelangelo had apprentices. This is a trade. You can learn it. You don't have to be a wizard in a tower to draw. With working remotely and working with, you know, presumably people from all over the world in your history, how do you get around the issue of working in separate time zones or having to communicate like across <laughs> different time zones? Yeah, none of us ever get enough sleep. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, again, a, a lot of the time it also seems kind of magical. I know for like if a programmer says, hey, I need this asset, then they go to bed, they wake up and it's done. There's no turnaround time for that. It magically seems like I'm the fastest guy ever, but really, you know, I worked at that for eight hours. But mostly I think if you have an organized team with an organized set of to-do lists and organization is number one for me. If I've got, if I've got research notes and to-do lists, that's everything I need. So you have to be clear with your communication. You have to know when to ask for clarification. If you think you understand something and you don't understand it, and then someone's in bed for eight hours, and then you show them eight hours work without having getting it clarified, and it's wrong, you've just wasted eight hours. And not only that, you lose some of your morale. And you're just like, oh, Jesus, you know, I thought I was doing the right thing. I just wasted a day working really hard on this. So you have to get good at checking at getting feedback. But for the most part, I work quite well without distraction. I don't want people talking to me while I work a lot of the time. I like to be in the zone, put music on or something like that. And I think everybody works differently, but for me that works really well. So I think some people work much better in an office and everything like, you know, what co-working means to a lot of people in a shared office space. But I also think a lot of artists historically worked alone and, you know, it's a particularly good medium to work that way. So perhaps we're just lucky. So the weird thing about like you create art to show to people, but then to do the art, you kind of have to isolate yourself and be in a bubble. It's very, very. Yeah. I mean, again, art is communication. And if you're if you're not clear in your communication, you might not get the message across that you want. So you kind of block out everything else in the world or put on music that fits the mood that you're trying to get. That's one thing, one thing I really like to do. And you can also follow Nighthawks on Steam or Kickstarter. If you want to find out more information, head over to wadgetigames.com. And you can also follow Ben Chandler on Twitter at Ben underscore 304. Thanks so much for joining us tonight, Ben. You're welcome. It was lovely chatting to you both. Definitely a lot of insight. And that's uh, about all the time that we have for today. Thank you for listening to episode 148 of Pixel Sift. This episode has been hosted by myself and Sarah. Thanks so much for joining me tonight, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. 
Uh, Pixel Sift is produced by Scott Quigg, Sarah Ireland, Fiona Bartholomeus, Mitch Lowe, myself, Adam Christo, and Gianni Di Giovanni is our executive producer. We wouldn't have been able to make 148 episodes of Pixel Sift if we didn't have the support of Murdoch University. So please go check them out and tell them that we sent you. If you're keen to learn more about a great creative degree, head to murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. That's murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. And as always, we'll be sticking links to everything we talked about in the show notes on our website. And you can find that at www.pixelsift.com.au. You can also come join us on Discord because we'd love to have you there. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord, where you can share your creative work, talk about topics and games and anything else, and maybe even get Mish to play something with you. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord. And if you do like what we do here on the show, can we ask you a favor? We need your help to share the show. So tell a friend, subscribe your brothers and sisters. Don't worry, they'll love it. Start someone's journey into podcasts because we know that getting started is tricky, but once you're in, you'll love it too much to leave. And our next episode will be recorded live on twitch.tv forward slash pixelsift on Thursday, the 25th of June at 7.30 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. So please come down and join us and be part of the episode. Next week on Thursday, the 18th of June, it'll be Pixelsift Plays, where we play some of the indie games that feature on our show. That's all for this week. Thank you for joining us and we'll catch you next time. Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Cancelled.